Well, hello there, Terrible Warriors. Welcome back to another Session Zero. I'm Justin Eacock, and today we are going to be examining Dune Adventures in the Imperium from Indifious Entertainment. They made a Dune RPG, and huh, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, let me introduce to you the two men of the wastelands that I've called in to help me navigate through this uh, unending labyrinth of what is Dune. First, returning, you uh, were, were, were hanging out while we were playing Under Hill by Water. Uh, welcome back, our mysterious stranger, Sean Horpachuk. The spice must flow. It's good to be back. <laughs> you're, you're, you're the one person <laughs> that's going to be on today's table who actually knows Dune beyond this book, <laughs> beyond the tabletop <laughs> RPG. I have when read I, when all I of told Frank you about Dune. Dune. Yeah, when I told you that they were making a Dune game, you just... Uh, did that thing on the keyboard where you just mashed all the keys all at once. Um, (laughs) You got very excited about this. So I was like, okay, if we're doing Dune, I need to actually have someone who knows it (laughs) join us. Yeah, I was unreasonably excited. That that was basically what my brain did when you said that there was an actual Dune RPG coming out. I think out. you I am... reacted to the Dune RPG the way I reacted when Modiphius announced Star Trek Adventures several years ago. And so, uh, you know, this is this is kind of what Modiphius does. They've got a really robust system with the 2D20 engine, and then they, they've got a good reputation. So they've done Star Trek Adventures, they've done Fallout and uh, uh, Darksiders, uh, uh, and... Uh, uh, a bunch of Bethesda games, uh, Elder Scrolls that they've Dark adapted. Darksiders? Not Darksiders. Um, uh, I don't think they did a Dishonored one. Dishonored, that's what it was. It's another D word. Yeah. It's a D word. D- 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 yeah, Dishonored. Close. Both are games. Both, Both are, are games. video games that start with the letter D. Uh, but yeah, no, they did <laughs> Dishonored, uh, which was the other one. And, uh, uh, and they've been working their way through the... They've, they've done also um, John Carter from Mars and Conan and now Dune. So they're also working through that kind of like era of 50s, 60s, new age sci-fi fantasy. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'm down with it. Uh, Dune is one of those systems that um, honestly, I didn't think it could be done. Uh, but before I get into that, you're hearing his voice talking, correcting me because he knows video games better than <laughs> I know video games. It's Brendan Fry. Hello, Justin. Happy to be here. <laughs> Welcome back. Last time you were with us was for Cyberpunk, right? It was indeed. Yeah. Another video game-like thing. Another video game-like thing. Yeah, that was, that's a weird one because it it's clearly a, it's a follow-up from the tabletop game that's a promotional tool for a video game, but it's still standing on its own in case the video game has things because it came out before the video game was released and it, it was that, that's a whole that's a whole nother podcast that's a thing. yeah <laughs> that is a, <laughs> someone will be able to do like an investigative 10 part deep dive podcast on what happened over there uh one so day. much so much <laughs> i am here for that podcast so dune adventures in the imperium is modifius's take on the dune franchise from frank herbert uh this is a book i believe it came out in 1967 uh and it was at the time, a whole new take on science fiction. At the time, mm-hmm. science fiction was going at a very new age angle. Uh, it was trying to shrug off a lot of the stuff from Isaac Asimov. 65. And K. Dick. 65, 65 yeah. 65, yeah. Uh, but what Frank Herbert did was even not go in the new age direction and just took this very interesting kind of anti-technological twist on the genre. And so it plays off like kind of like Crusader Kings 
which is another mm. video game of it's all about noble houses and duchies and fiefdoms and that kind of uh, feudalism caste system, but in this grand centuries, millennia spanning space opera about humanity reaching out beyond really imagination to literally countless planets and stars and galaxies. Uh, but it's all centered around this one place in the known universe, the only place where spice can be found, the planet of Dune or the planet of Arrakis. So before we get right into it, here's Sean, you're the one who read <laughs> Dune. Yeah. Um, I've, I've read the, the, the tabletop RPG. I've listened to a couple of podcasts that talk about it and I get very excited about the idea of Dune. I've got the book on my bookshelf, but I've never read it. So I need you. You've got five minutes. Tell me everything about Dune. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to sum up Dune in, in five minutes, but so the first, let alone five hours, th this RPG mostly confines itself to the first book. And I think that was very smart of them because this this whole saga spans multiple thousands and of years. And specifically 10 years before the first book. So Which also very smart. Presumably, if you, Sean, are a, a person who knows Dune and you ran this game, you could run it for friends who have never read Dune. They could play your tabletop game and then go and read Dune. Yes. Without yeah. spoiling. Like it can work in that order where this can act as a entry point, a gateway into that place. And you don't have to spoil even what happens in the first chapter of Dune because it hasn't happened yet. And right. we'll, we'll, we'll get into a little bit of that right after I let you finish talking. I'm going to keep interrupting you, I think. Yeah, no, please but do. A lot uh, of these episodes are just me talking all the time and I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to share the spotlight. It's hard when we do everything virtually. Oh, I can't really see tough. your eyes. I know. I, I miss your eyes, Sean. I miss your face. Um, <laughs> So in summary, Dune starts off very much like, uh, as, as you said, a conflict between noble houses, very crusader kings, there's vendettas, there's a blood feud between two major houses. But what it slowly evolves into is what the spice is to all of humanity and how it, it has, humanity has changed and evolved. Uh, in this future, there aren't computers. Thinking machines are banned, and they have been for something like 10,000 yeah, years. So everyone who's ever explained Dune to me always starts with the timeline of what the spice is and then works their way back. And when I read it in the yeah. RPG, they actually just start at the beginning. And I found that really the very helpful. Beginning. So the very yeah. beginning. So Dune itself takes place in the year 10,114. Uh, yeah. Uh, 10, imperial time. That's thousand, Imperial time. So it's 10,000 years in the future after the end of all humanity was taken over by the machines. So like Terminator happens. And... Mm -hmm. And all of the known universe of, of the old Terra uh, are taken over by AI. They call themselves the synchronized worlds. And humans merged with machine and you had these things called Cymex. And it was like, it's very not Dune. This is not what Dune is about. This is all before Dune. It's kind of the way Star Trek is a utopia, but it came out of World War III. But Star mm -hmm. Trek is not about World War III or any of that timeline. It just, it had to go through that in order to get to it. So in order to get to Dune, they had to go through through this hyper-technical, technolized uh, time where the machines took over. And the, what happened at the worst point as they started just wiping out humanity from all of these planets, as they just started turning everything into machine, uh, is there was an uprising. And not just any kind of uprising, but a holy uprising. There was this idea that God was going to give us back our freedom, uh, but we had to reject 
machines. And so this event happens called the Butlerian Jihad, which lasted like a hundred years. But by the end of it, all AI and all what they call thinking machines have been completely eradicated from the known universe. And there is an agreement made from all of the surviving noble houses who are now in control that they will never allow any machine to take on the mind that is similar to a human or to take on like a human soul or anything like that. There'll be no more thinking machines at all. So now they're left with, they've already been an interstellar species for thousands of years at this point. Um, They've already uh, traveled to other worlds and they've needed machines to calculate these high numbers, but now they can't use them anymore. So Frank Herbert backs himself into a corner now of like, how do we still have the space opera without computers that can calculate all of the necessary numbers needed to do that kind of faster than light travel and all that kind of stuff. And And he did a very sci-fi hand wavy answer to that. And it's phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah. So, so enter the spice. There is one planet in the entire known universe that creates this thing called Melange. And that's the spice from Arrakis, the planet known as Dune. It's a desert world and it, it has one export spice that's it that's the only thing this planet is good for there's no water there is almost no uh, uh flora and fauna there's uh, an indigenous people called the fremen who have lived on this planet since before the butlerian jihad uh and, and everyone's human too there's no aliens in dune at all but humanity went out into space found that they were actually alone and then over uh, you know tens of thousands of years have settled on every possible planet that they can which is this that's that's kind of it's brought up a lot in science fiction the fermi paradox it, you only need a couple thousand years if you can go fast enough to go back and forth across the entire galaxy multiple times so mm. if humanity is listening out into into the galaxy and we hear nothing we're not in a young star there are other stars older that life could have started on and with just a little bit of a head start they could have colonized the entire galaxy if they just had a million years more than we did, which on the cosmic scale of things is actually quite possible. So we hear nothing. So there's this idea of, are we actually alone? And Frank Herbert takes this, yes, we are actually alone. But by the time we get to Dune, every place that a human can be living on, they (laughs) basically are now. And, And this all comes down to what the spice allowed them to do is it allowed uh, the mind to open up into prescience, to see the future. It, uh, it helps open up uh, the mind to um, thinking faster and calculating faster. So we, have, we don't have computers in Dune. We have a group of people called Mentats. And they can calculate and, and, and theorize and strategize and they can hold on to messages and deliver them in perfect clarity. And uh, they, they are our computers in this world. They are the ones where we, we, we tell them to crunch the odds and they'll tell us what the odds are. And then we have uh, uh, the, the, the faster than light travel requires intense, complicated calculations so we don't fold space and end up in a star uh, or, 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 or nowhere at all. And so the enter the spacing guild and they have navigators that have, they, they, they basically breathe the spice. They live in these big tanks and they are completely surrounded in spice. And that has mutated their bodies into truly alien looking things. And they can 
use that to see all the possible futures of their pathway when they fold space so that they can fold space safely and get the ship to the other side. And they do that by like unraveling time the way Doctor Strange did in, uh, in Endgame to look at all the possible futures and see the one possible future where they survive. That's what the Navigator does every single time they transport their ships through, through when they fold space. Folding space allows for instantaneous travel to anywhere in the universe. And that's only possible because of the spice. So they can mm-hmm. only keep traveling. They can only keep the Imperium going and, and reaching out further and having this instantaneous travel to all of these planets everywhere as long as the Spacing Guild continues to get the spice that they need in order to power their engines. But spice is not just the oil of the future. It's also the cocaine of the future because mm-hmm. it, it, it opens up the mind. It, it allows for um, incredible uh, age-defying properties so humans can live much longer longer if they have spice uh it 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 opens up almost like mystical magical properties but it's not magic it's just this idea of frank herbert of like anything that's that's advanced enough appears to be magic right uh and Mm. it's just ten thousand plus years in the future humanity has learned to uh control every molecule in our body and, and, and we can use it to control the, the timbre of our voice in our vocal cords just enough to be able to mind control people. Right, but it's not magic. With enough training. With enough training. With enough intense training, there is a small percentage of people who can learn to take a poison in their body and turn it into an antidote just by moving the molecules and the molecular composition of their bodies around. Uh, or they can um, uh, be literally the perfect doctor uh, who, uh, with, through intense training, also is incapable of inflicting pain on another human. It is a conditioning that prevents them from doing that, which is the only reason why the noble houses can, can afford to have a doctor in this time of high paranoia. Uh, so there's all these like themes that play through it. And I, this is going to sound very overwhelming if you don't know Dune, and I highly recommend it. If this is something that you're interested in, uh, there, there, are, there are resources out there to help get you into it. Go check it out. <laughs> There's a lot. Um, personally, I recommend, I told this to Sean, we've been listening to uh, oh, uh, yeah. Henry Zabrowski, the last podcast on the Left Network. They've been doing the Dune Deep Dive cast. Uh, they're still doing it at the time that we recorded this. It's a lot of fun to listen to. It's also a really uh, overwhelming yet gentle way of explaining not just how interesting dune is how exciting dune is but also how batshit crazy dune is and uh yeah to uh to, to finish with a summary of the, the first book i guess um because it does get crazy it doesn't really deal with all of that backstory like all no of the, the first book no it's it just doesn't. hinted at it just throws a little bit of hints just enough mm-hmm. to give you some flavor and then it dives into okay this is house politics and then it takes a huge left turn and goes into what is a messiah? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, what are the consequences of having a messiah figure, and what does that look like? And also prescience. There is a dude movie out there that you can watch. That that's all right. Uh, there's another one coming out at the end of this year uh, with right. uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Villeneuve, the guy who yeah. did um, Blade Runner, director, right? Blade Runner, uh, uh, Arrival. Uh, mm-hmm. Some really really cool movies, and so I'm very excited for that take on it. But the Dune movie, the first book, is very much a uh, a story of a character named Paul Atreides, 
who is the heir to House Atreides, who his family is, leaves their homeworld of Caledon and is given fiefdom over Arrakis. They are now in charge of Dune. This is both, yay, we're going to make so much money, and also, this is clearly a trap and we're going to get killed when we arrive here because everyone wants Dune, and Dune is the most important planet in the entire universe, and anyone who is control, who gets the rights to mine Dune, has a target on their back. And the story of Dune follows Paul as uh, his, his, his house is betrayed and destroyed and he's exiled out into the desert. He meets the Fremen people and spoiler alert, he's their messiah, actual literal messiah, the Muad'Dib. And he uh, 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 ascends to become an emperor god king. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah, the story of Dune. Weird. So the, the, how do you take yeah. a tabletop game that is very much not really about its universe, but about this like one character? Um, and so in the tabletop game, we're not going to deal with Paul and with House Atreides and the story of Dune. We're dealing more with the types of people that are on Dune, the kind of technology we have, the weird mysticism, the, 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 the belief structures, the politics, and, and the hopes and dreams of the kinds of people that live in a caste system that have no real say on how their future plays out, except for a few pivotal moments in history. You know, you have houses that are given a monopoly over resources for thousands of years, but then one mess up and everyone is rushing to be the next house that is now going to be responsible for all of the music in the known universe. (laughs) It's much easier to trade on countless planets if you have uh, monopolies set up. And so you get these houses that maneuver themselves to take control of an entire resource. Obviously, spice is the most important resource, but there's everyone needs food, water, depending on your planet, uh, uh, art, entertainment, spaceships, (laughs) ammunition. I I feel like the uh, the RPG does a very good job also of explaining that it's a very delicate house of cards that the Imperium exists. It's this this Imperium for 10,000 years, but it's a bunch of factions that are all balanced yeah. against each other this is this is crusader kings but written in 1965 the peak of the cold yeah. war right all paranoia all the time so it's it's this idea of like this feudalistic era of fiefdoms and duchies dukes lords an emperor it's a caste system but it's also a uh, a a shareholder stock system where you have boards of directors and and and, and all this stuff and and what what the Spacer Guild has done, they control all interstellar travel, right? You cannot travel without a navigator who's using spice to travel and fold space. So because of that, they can throttle back and they just like, oh, you're going to war? Well, we're not going to travel you. So you're stuck where you are. And so they, they keep a cap on all that. They can kind of control. They can also retaliate and cut you off of the known universe. If you can't access the navigators, you can't leave your planet. You might as well be in your own universe and, and you will lose all of your re- because everything's monopolized. You might, your planet might not make food. All your food comes off world through the Spacer Guild. And so if they cut you off, everyone on your planet dies and starves. And so, so it unravels very quickly if anyone makes a move against anybody. It, it, it's complete mutual assured destruction. And that's the idea. Like, again, it's, it's the Cuban Missile Crisis era, right? So it's this idea of no, everyone has all of the power and nobody has any power. And they've all got the means to destroy everybody. Mm-hmm. And so nobody will make the move first. So the only kind of the closest you get to open warfare 
is a war of assassins, mo- people moving in the shadows. In fact, it's so much allowed. The emperor uh, condones the use of assassins. You can there are you, rules. You can, there are rules and decorums to sending assassins to other houses, and and sometimes they can be negotiated, Hamilton style. You know, most disputes die and no one shoots, kind of a thing, or. Uh, uh, or or it's to the death and and the, the 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 war of assassins will not end until one of the house leaders is killed and and then usually that the, the losing house will have all their assets absorbed by the winning house and uh, and then they will have they, they they'll have those shares and so because everything is right on a razor's edge and and there's so much at stake and as as Sean put it it's very fragile that you you just have to change one equation somewhere and the entire thing just begins to fall apart and so it's 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 both the war of the roses but it's also at the height of the cold war and because of that everyone is paranoid at all times everyone is a potential enemy there are assassins around every corner and everyone is scrambling to get a little bit more power and a little bit more influence. And yeah, the, the great houses get to battle around Arrakis and Dune and Spice, but there's all these minor houses that are scrabbling around for everything else that everyone needs. Mm-hmm. And if you can get one of those resources, uh, the, the joke is like Iraq, uh, uh, Atreides, Paul Atreides, the main character in Dune, their family uh, has gotten most of their wealth through putty rice. Their planet is a water planet. And yeah, I mean, that's the opposite of Dune. That's the whole point. But, but their, their main export is rice. It's a very modest export, but it is now a staple food across the entire Imperium. And that has allowed them to have this incredible wealth so much that the Emperor ends up giving them the fiefdom of Dune partly because they deserve it and partly because he's kind of hoping that this will knock them off of the competition because they're getting so much power they're almost rivaling the emperor's influence and so you know this needs to be corrected in a way uh, and <clears throat> it's so so the most modest and humblest yeah, well, most, without getting into spoilers that's yeah mostly accurate. yeah exactly i mean we're gonna spoil a bit of dune but also 1965 you've had your chance and so the yeah. uh, <laughs> the, the the thing with like so like even a very modest resource like rice can become like the primary you know money maker for a family or you can have other families that are more built around military complexes and uh like house harkonnen who's the antagonist house in dune their main money maker is spice itself but the problem with having spice as your main money maker is you don't actually control it the emperor controls the spice and gets to decide who has the mining rights to it and so you're beholden to another master when that happens whereas uh, kaladin and house atreides no one can take their rice away that's on their planet I mean, I guess the emperor could take their planet away, but that would be so egregious that all the other houses would rise up and stop the emperor, right? So, like, every there's all these little mm. checks and balances in politics that are preventing outright anarchy and civil war. Because if that happens, again, keeping in mind the, what I mentioned way at the beginning, the Butlerian jihad and this thing with the AI, there's this very real worry that if we don't follow these rules that we have made, these, these decorums, these rules of engagement, we will slip back. We will lose the favor of God and the machines will return 
and we will lose all of our freedom. And, and, and this is, this is humanity's second chance. We already failed. The end of the world already happened. And we, we, we crawled our way back into where Dune is now. And if any mistakes are made, we'll lose everything. We'll all be destroyed. There's also, it's very clear that humanity is easily capable of wiping itself out. Like it is explicitly stated that every house has their own atomics and they're every, all banned. Yeah, every house, yeah, exactly. Them. Again, it's Russia, U.S., Cold War. Every, every planet yeah. in the known universe run by a major house has enough atomics to wipe out every other planet in the known universe run by a major house. And, and so because of that, atomic weapons and anything that could cause even a pseudo-atomic reaction are completely banned. If anyone so much as shoots a laser at a force field that causes a pseudo-atomic explosion, that house is wiped out of existence. There is no quarter. In fact, there's a, there's a, a rule in the GM uh, book. Let's, let's open up the PDF here. There was a really great mm-hmm. uh, bit of advice for the GM where it was talking about what you just mentioned there, Sean, with atomic weapons, where, uh, uh, just going back to... Uh, if you really want to learn about Dune really quick and easy, like get this PDF because it really breaks down the timeline. You can read it in the <laughs> evening they and you did become a it's better than job. reading a wiki. Um, a laser gun, when a laser gun beam hits a shield, the effect is instant, devastating, and pseudo-atomic. A pseudo-atomic explosion occurs that lay waste to the area and anything within it, possibly even for miles around. For this reason, the Great Convention has outlawed the use of this effect in any way in the same way it outlaws the use of atomic weapons. For most, pa- for most players, that will be enough of a warning. Unfortunately, some players may still think that a few suicide troops with laser guns might end a rival quickly and efficiently. They would be wrong. And the fact that even the Harkonnens will not stoop to his method to this method, should be a clue as to the terrible consequences that will occur. Most houses will not take laser guns into a battle where they even suspect that a shield may be present. Whether it is accidental or intended, any laser gun shield interaction breaks the great convention, the importance of which cannot be overstated. It is an agreement around which peace in the universe remains possible. Nobles want to know that when they are shielded, they are safe, and that there are limits to the myriad ways their enemies will attempt to destroy them. Anyone who breaks this status quo for any reason threatens to shake the very foundations of civilization in the Imperium. This means that any house that knowingly or unknowingly breaks any of the rules of the Great Convention will be crushed. The Landsrat, the name of the, the organization of all the houses are a part of, like their UN, cannot afford to allow any other option. The errant house will be destroyed, its holdings divided among its peers. For the players, their characters, their characters' family, and their house, this means the game is over. No warnings, no excuses, no apologies, no quarter. <laughs> so they have this little bit for the GM being like, you're going to have players that are going to be like, well, we'll just like equip some like shock troopers with laser guns and we'll have them blow up the enemy. And ha ha, we'll win the fight. And even the most vile, mm. evil characters in Dune don't do that because they know it will be the absolute end of them if they do. You will win that battle <laughs> and you will lose every war. You will lose everything. everything. You will be wiped from existence. Your face will be carved off of all the statues. You will have never existed before. And it is made absolutely clear that if anyone breaks the Great Convention, the Empire will know about it 
and within one game session, everyone you have ever known will be assassinated, your house will be uh, done, and your game will be over. So, like, that is the one thing in this, in this RPG you do not mess with. And if anyone does, <laughs> you just get to go on a full-on spree on that house and just be part of like all the sharks coming to feed because if any house is found to be in violation of the great convention they will not be protected by the great convention and every house will just use atomics on their planet and just wipe them off and they'll be gone Hmm. within an evening (laughs) they will just no longer exist and it's happened before in the dune history um the 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 home world of the emperor Um, was nuked Secundus, Saluda Secundus, Salusa Secundus was destroyed by Atomics. It's now a prison planet, is where his like crazy warriors, the Sardaukar, come from. Um, the house that did that attack, they failed to finish the job because the Emperor survived. They don't exist mm. anymore. Every other house in the known universe turned on them and destroyed them. The Emperor made a new home planet and is now more powerful than he's ever been for the last 10,000 years. I just love the length people live in this universe. It's just it's stupid. <laughs> oh, the, the emperor, the, the hasn't emperor has not. The, 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 the emperor's dynasty has been in control for the last ten thousand years. Yeah, no, I mean, they but, still can live I mean, for get, hundreds of years. Hundred, two hundred. But I mean, if you go into like the Dune books, if you go further down like the rabbit hole, it's, it does it's get to the point later on. Eventually, yeah, yeah. deeper into the books after the events of where this tabletop takes in. Yeah, you do get a character in particular who does. Um, Ascend into literal God, and he becomes a, he becomes a he sandworm, becomes a sandworm he? and he lives yeah, for and he lives for thousands, thousands of years. years. Yeah, and 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 becomes I mean, and he becomes basically the immortal God Emperor of the known universe, which is now we're getting into like almost Warhammer forty k territories of absurdity. Oh yeah, and uh, it yeah. Gets ridiculous. yeah, it's so that's a whole thing that like that's coming, but we're 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 about a hundred years <laughs> away from that at the time that we're playing <laughs> this game. Yeah, like Paul Atreides is like. 11 years old or something. No, he's 15 (laughs) in the books. So he's only five at the time of this game. He's five years old. He's 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 learning. He's not a half He's already learning. You know, he's he's taking his first fencing lessons. That's about it. Yeah. He hasn't left Kaladin. He's, you know, uh, the Harkonnen family is currently in control of Arrakis. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing anything on Dune, you're dealing with them. And, uh, so it's it's a much more inhospitable planet than it even is in Dune. Like this is a time where the Harkonnens um, very openly hunt the Fremen for sport because they just see them as animals on this planet, not as other humans. And uh, yeah, it's a whole it's a whole thing. Should be noted, they see most of their own people as animals too. They're not, <laughs> they're not pleasant. pleasant. They, they're all into like Colosseum fighting, fights the death, knife fighting, ed, slave labor. There, there are rumors that the Baron makes all of his staff wear plugs over their hearts so that he can drink their just, blood when he yeah, wants to. Yeah, you just, you know, why not? <laughs> just, just why really not? Over the top. Yeah. Oh, the universe is nonsense. I love it, but it is nonsense. So one of the fun things, if you remember us playing Star Trek Adventures, Star Trek Adventures uses the exact same 2D20 system as Dune. So I'm not going to get too much into the minutia of the rules because I actually found reading through it, it made a lot of sense to me. Uh, in a nutshell, you, you combine two uh, 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 stats on your character sheet, just like in Star Trek. You combine them together and you're rolling a D20 and you're rolling under that number. So in this game, a 1 is good and a 20 is bad. And 
what you combine is up to you as the player, which is a little different from other games like Dungeons and Dragons, where the GM will usually tell you, well, you'll do a dexterity check for this. In Star Trek and in Dune, you would combine the two and they're going to kind of match what your action is in this scene. And you mm. get to decide, okay, I've told you what the problem is. How do you want to overcome it? And you can say, well, in Dune, I'm going to use my battle skill. But then the other is that you got these focuses, battle, communicate, discipline, move and understand. And then you have drives, duty, faith, justice, power and truth. That's not really tied to an action, right? It's tied into your motivation. So as a GM, I do not get to tell you why you are doing this action. You get to tell me why you are doing this action. I'll tell you this is a battle skill, and you will tell me that it is your faith or your sense of justice or your, or your sense of duty that is driving you to use your battle skill. So it's a, it's a fun way of like, it's constantly prompting you for role play questions with every dice roll, but it's not just dice roll that the, 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 the 2d20 system also has currency in the form of momentum, threat and determination. So you're, you're you, you, this is a game where you're going to have tokens at your table as well. And I, and when I play my games, I've got like blue tokens for motivation, red tokens for threat and usually coins loose change for determination and uh and so you or 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 or, or maybe a d6 or something like that because we're only using d20s in this and so you'll, you'll have uh you have these points that you can spend before you roll your dice you you cash in momentum to uh give yourself extra dice to roll or to ensure certain traits uh are being introduced into the scene to lower the difficulty of the role you're involved in so there's a lot of spending and bartering to help manipulate the role you're about to roll so it's not always on a sense of chance it's, you're using the motivation or the momentum the threats and the determination points to help massage the narrative of your scenes at all times and you can use that to introduce and remove traits that the gm creates in the scene the trait can be something like pitch black no one can see the lights are out uh and you can spend a trait by spending momentum to remove that trait so now that light has been turned on somewhere someone opened up a torch or restored power to the room and light is now in that room right so so this is that, that that's that's true for all of the two T20 games that you might end up playing through Modiphius. And so Dune is an adaptation of that. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in those rules because I feel like we did that with the Star Trek Living campaign and we did that when we played our Klingon uh, Session Zero. I found this to be very mm -hmm. familiar. So if you have played any of the other Modiphius games as a GM, the hardest part of this game is just going to be getting used to Dune, which is really relaxing for me as a, as a I would probably be the GM for this, uh, of learning how, oh, I, I recognize threats, I recognize momentum, I recognize determination. Even the drive and skills is very similar to the discipline and attribute from Star Trek Adventures. It was, this, was, this was a very familiar ground for me to be on. Uh, so in today, we the session zero for Dune is in the past I would have we would do this like a book club where we would all make our characters and we would show up and we present our characters we haven't done that today because this session zero it, it, it explicitly states in the book should be done as a group because you're going to be having to negotiate as you're making your characters what kind of Dune story do you want to tell because as you might have gathered in the last half hour there's a lot going on in Dune and, and it, <laughs> you can play very different stories do you want to play stories about being smugglers and traitors or soldiers or assassins or diplomats or concubines like there's you can all these different uh, consorts in court do you want to have something that's more 
politics and 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 uh, and negotiations, or do you want to have something that's a little bit more like maybe like the Mandalorian in Star Wars? You could do that in Dune easily, uh, but you you all kind of need to want to be on the same page when you make your characters, or you're all going to be telling such different stories that you might as well be playing different games. And so for that, it is highly recommended for the Dune RPG that you have your session zero as a group. Creating characters seems to be very painless. And we're going to put that to the test today because I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But if we did this on our own, all three of us would have come with such three different characters. We'd be like, wow, this is really great. We would then go off and play three different games because they would be completely incompatible with each other, most likely. Um, so that's where we're at. So one of the things you do, and first thing you do when you're creating your characters, is you create your noble house. This is similar in Star Trek Adventures of choosing what starship you're on. And so... Everyone is part of the same noble house, just like everyone was part of the same starship. The noble house will determine what NPCs are in charge, who are employing you. They're, they're involved for all the different departments of this house, all the different things that they rule over. Uh, what, what are they known for? What do they have domain over? Where are they in the universe? What's their home world? Uh, and, and are they uh, a minor house or a major house? The difference being a major house has control over their entire planet and maybe even their moon and other planets in their star system. A minor house doesn't have control over a planet. They live on a planet controlled by a major house, and they work for that major house. And maybe one day, if they maneuver themselves enough, they could ascend to become a major house and be in control of their own planet. It has happened before. But for the most part, they are the bannermen of this house that owe allegiance to the, the, their, their duke. And, and they work for them uh, too. So they might be given in charge of, as we mentioned, House Atreides does all of the rice farming in the known universe. Well, House Atreides themselves probably doesn't. They probably have a minor house that is given responsibility for farming that rice. And then they have another minor house that is given responsibility for exporting that rice, right? So they would, they would, they would, delineate the responsibilities among their minor houses and it would be a, a, a sign of respect of um, responsibility of trust to those houses that they are being given this responsibility to manage and and then we come up with like a house crest and a motto and and then the, my fun part is we then decide how many enemies we have we get to roll on a table <laughs> to find out what houses are coming for us and also why they are coming for us. Some of them are like, no one remembers. They've just been at it for so long, no one has it. Or it might be, we stole something from them. We might actually be the offending party. Or they are the offending party. So, so that's kind of, so we get to, we get to do some dice rolls to, to generate what enemies we have. I, and it's important to note, the more powerful a house you choose to play, the more and worse enemies yeah, you we'll, will have. we'll go a little bit about also <laughs> what kind of house you get. Also determines, I mentioned, we got momentum and threat. The, the threat is a currency that the GM can spend to uh, up the ante in a game. Uh, for example, one point of threat is all a GM needs to bring in a character from an enemy house into the current scene. So at any time, I could spend a threat to have your antagonist just walk through and going, well, 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 what have we here? And I could do that over and over and over again as many times as I have threat. If you're playing as a minor house, the GM only starts each game session with one point of threat per player at the table. But if you're playing a great house, the GM starts each gaming session with three points of threat for every player at the table. So with that much threat, I mean, if I'm playing a three-player game, I would start the game with nine points of threat 
I could spend a threat for every single scene in our four hour game and I could constantly have the bad guys showing up and attempting an assassination on your life every time with only spending one point of time. Uh, so it, it sh- just shows you like they, they do recommend like it might sound cool to start a game with a miter house, but it's also going to be a much different and more difficult game if you do that is going to be a game where if you play as a major or a great house a great house is a major house that has multiple planets underneath their banner uh they you are going to be starting a game where your primary theme is going to be paranoia (laughs) at all times you are always going to be under attack and this is even true uh, from watching the dune movie characters are just almost blasé about how often there's an assassination attempt on them. It happens all the time, usually without any dramatic effect. There's a hunter drone comes through a wall and is staring at the characters like, oh, it's a hunter drone sent out to kill me. I'll just stay perfectly still and it will leave, right? Like, because I've been, I've been trained, trained, for this, I've been trained since I was four years old because it happens every fortnight. And so, uh, so, so that's the kind of thing if you're playing, whereas if you're playing as a minor house, Assassins aren't going to be coming for you. You're not important enough. Instead, you might be rivaling with another minor house within your major house's domain to win approval, right? It plays a little bit more like Game of Thrones when you're playing as a minor house where you're jockeying for more control within your domain. And uh, that's going to be my vote is that we play it as a minor house because it sounds a little bit Mm -hmm. easier to ease your way in. Where if you play as a major house... um, it's just a different game. It's just, it's just, it's more advanced and, and, and there's a lot more threat and combat and, and it's deadlier. You, you, you might not survive <laughs> your session if you play that. Uh, so then when we're done with our house and we've got that figured out, then we'll move over to making our characters because it is very, very difficult. And I would say ill advised to try and make a character without knowing what house they serve because you'll end up making something that just doesn't fit the theme of the game that you're going for. The kind of agent that would work for House Harkonnen is going to be a very different agent that will work for House Atreides. So you can, using the house kind of helps set the tone for the table. It's telling all the players, this is the kind of game we are agreeing upon and what we are all buying into. This is the sort of game we would like to try and play. And then you're going to make characters that are going to yes and the house that you're part of, or you'll butt up against it, but you now you have context for where your character is going to work for. And, uh, and you can decide if you, if you, if you want to work to better or to break down that house, like both are valid, but it's, um, there's, it's, it's, there's a lot of negotiating and consent that is happening in this character creation process that I really appreciate. And, and so this is a game that because there is so much happening at Dune and you're going to have people at your table that are either have read a lot of Dune and, and it's like a religion to them. And you're going to have people at your table that have never read Dune and only knows that it's got sandworms. And those are, you've got wild gulfs of, of understanding between these two players. But you want them all at the table feeling like we know what we're doing. So by doing the house first, then making your characters, there's, there's the context and the meta talk that goes with that. So that we're all buying into the same game and no one is getting caught apart. Whereas if you make your characters on your own, you're going to show up to your table and you're going to be like, oh, I've made the perfect Dune character because I've read all six Dune books. <laughs> and this character is going to reshape the, the, the future of the known universe. And then you get there and they're all like, uh, we're going to be warrior poets and we're never leaving our home planet. 
<laughs> what? Yeah, we Come made on. a planet where we're all, this is actually the example they have in the game, uh, uh, is they make a minor house that lives on a series of islands on their major house's home planet, and they are poets, but they are also assassins. And they use their performances <laughs> to kill their targets with flair. And then like leave like a haiku on their body or something. And that sounds awesome. <laughs> That's a very, That's very amazing. different game than if you wanted to play as a member of the Benny Gesserit, a group of like prescient witches that can see through time and space. <laughs> it's a different game, right? Mm-hmm. So <sighs> that's the preamble. <laughs> that's, that's a lot. <laughs> um, I don't know how much I edited out I of all of that. Okay. So we're going to get to making our house now. <laughs> Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm. Step one is picking out our house type. Do we want to play as a nascent house, a house that has just acquired minor status? They start with zero threat. A minor house that is an important vassal to a major house and has a strong tradition in service to their patron, maybe has established itself off-world, but their holdings will cover about a third of the home world, and they're given domain over something that's very important to their major house's um, function. Minor houses start with one threat per player. A major house rules over its entire planet. It has interests in the Imperium. It has a vote in Chome, which is like their stock exchange uh, uh, on the board of directors. It, uh, it, it has a, their, the head of that house has a seat in the Landsrat, which is like their UN. And so a major house has not just economic importance, also political importance. They also have spies and assassins, and they're everywhere. And there are rival houses that are jockeying to destroy them, but not overtly. It's all Cold War, right? It's all paranoia. And so um, a major house starts with two threat per player. And a great house is very similar to a major house. In fact, apparently in the books, the terms are used almost interchangeably. But in the tabletop RPG, they've just uh, monetized it a little bit differently in that a great house in the RPG has multiple worlds. Although in the books, um, a major house and a great house, uh, they're, they're, Frank Herbert didn't, he just kept using them both interchangeably. But in the, in the tabletop, a great yeah. house it controls not only its home world, but even other planets and, and has multiple planets underneath its domain. And maybe they got those planets by defeating another house and they absorbed those assets under them and they become a great house. But for, for in terms of coming to vote and to the Landsrat and to Chome, the stock exchange, they, uh, they, they have the same number of votes as a major house. They just have more resources, more soldiers. I feel, I think it's, impl- it's implied they're more of a quote big yeah. deal. So even if they, right, like they might have, they one might or only two have planets, one vote they, on the lands they, rat, but they would probably have other major houses that are on their side. So they got like a voting block, yeah. right? They're, they're much more influential. Mm-hmm. They pr- might even have the ear of the emperor himself. The emperor might be worried that their ambition is looking upon the throne. And so a, a great house is, only a few steps removed from being able to become emperor. Like they're, they're very, there's, they're the only, the, the emperor is itself a great house, but they have like the veto vote. They are the one who gets to decide the emperor is not allowed to mine spice, but they are allowed to decide who mines spice. It's not up for a discussion. It's only the emperor can decide who gets Arrakis. But the rule of the great convention is the emperor himself cannot have Arrakis. And so, uh, so because of that, you've got a lot of great houses that are both 
competing against, but also sucking up to the emperor to get those really, really important contracts, those really important fiefdoms. Uh, if he starts a great house, you get three points of thread per player. So I was thinking we would make a minor house. It's the same thing they use for the example in the game, and it made sense to me. I definitely that's want to play fair. a house with some threat, but yeah, I feel like a minor house would be a good... Oh, yeah, I don't want to play a nascent house, because yeah. that's just easy mode. Yeah, mm-hmm. no. um, a minor house, you get one threat per player at the table, you get one primary domain, and a secondary domain that you don't have control over, but you have ambitions for. Mm-hmm. So you're not um, making... Like, if your secondary domain is assassination... You are known for your assassination services, but you are not the number one choice for assassination. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> You're working for that. There's another house out there that has a better work at it. Maybe um, you can sabotage them and knock them down a peg and you can be the best one. Or, or like there's, there's, you're jockeying to make that a primary domain. Uh, whereas a, a great house has two primary domains and three secondary domains. So not only do you have more threat, you've also got more things to keep track of. And there's a lot of like, oh, wow, okay, so we're known for this and this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's just right. a lot. You're just going to forget something <laughs> in that. Whereas if you play as a minor house, there's that bit of like playing as the RPG where you could, you could start getting domains as you, you know, kind of level up and you work your way through the story as you get more responsibility and, and you can play that hero's journey of the minor house. It ends up becoming a major house. So, uh, so yeah, I'm going to put house type down as minor. I'm Yay. good with that. So then we have our starting domains. A minor house has one primary domain and a secondary domain. A, a, a primary domain is what the house is most famous for. It's something that the house is considered to be the best in the universe at. Remember I mentioned earlier, it's all about monopolies. So if a house can get a monopoly on something, then Chome, they're not just stock exchange, but like it's their, it's also, they, 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 they handle all of the trade of goods across the universe. It's easier for them when you're dealing with millions of worlds and hundreds of galaxies for one place to be responsible for all of the bicycles, right? This is the bicycle planet. This planet's the only planet that makes bicycles because they just don't want to deal with more than one planet that makes bicycles because they're dealing with a million planets already. So it's, it's a system that lends itself to allowing for a, a, a primary group. And, and once you become a, that's your primary domain, you might have that domain for thousands of years and you are just known as the, 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 the universe's bicycle manufacturer for millennia so it's a uh, it's kind of fun like that so we have to decide what our primary domain is our secondary domain is something that we are known for but it's not our main source of income it's still lucrative it's considered and and we're considered a serious contender uh but we're not the controlling monopoly on it mm-hmm. so we make bicycles but there's all these other planets that make bicycles and maybe one day we'll be the primary bicycle manufacturer, but right now we're not. I don't even know if there's bicycles in in Dune. It just seems like an absurd Why thing not? to mention. I'm gonna say like the problem is. Have. Yeah, it seems low tech enough to work. They have, they so, have repulsor tech, but not everybody has that. They do mention like there, your domains is not the only area that you have business in. Even a minor house will have several interests, and planetary powers are vast. And just because an industry produces. Just because there's an, in, an industry that a house does not produce does not mean their planet doesn't have any factories. Um, every planet can make food. They just might not be that much just by their primary export. So they got, you know, 
you have diverse businesses, but at the same time, this is like you make glow balls, which <laughs> is a Dune thing. Mm, yep. And you're the only one who makes glow balls because you make the best glow balls. Uh, that makes sense. But you might still make a whole bunch of things. I can't believe they're not just, glow balls. But glow balls are, are your big one. Uh, so they, they have this broken down to as well. You can make up your own if you already got something mm -hmm. in mind. Or you can have a look at. They've got artistic, espionage, farming, industrial, canly, which is the uh, assassination version of espionage, military, political, religion, and science. Mm -hmm. What area would be our primary and then they have it broken down into each section. They have it broken down to machinery, produce, expertise, workers, and understanding. We can, we can deal with that in a second. But of those, uh, what did I mention, almost 10 of them? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what would we want our primary domain for our minor house to be? What are we most known for? Are we known for producing something artistic? Are we known for our spies? Are we known for our farming, for our industry, our manufacturing, our military? Are we known for uh, Canley, which is the rules of assassination that are set up uh, as vendettas against other houses? Uh, they're also lucrative areas for business. <laughs> uh, political. Are we known as a, a religious house or a house um, that is focused on science? Hmm. I feel like it would help to determine what major house we're pledged to because that might help. Mm. Sort of narrow down because they have that. Um, that's the next question: is the home world and, and the house traits. So, what do you have a house that you would like to be pledged to, Sean, as someone who knows Dune, or do we want to invent our own major house I mean, as well? In Dune, we they only under? really explore in the uh, like official canon. They only really explore the two houses pretty mm -hmm. well. And yeah, eh. <laughs> I have no so, strong preference. One of the things I mentioned before we started recording, I thought it'd be really cute or funny. Um, because again, it's a place of like understanding is if uh, we went because House Atreides is on Kaladin and I mentioned it already is, is there no one for producing uh, putty rice and it's, it's a staple across the Imperium and it's um, their primary source of, of income for House Atreides. So there would be a minor house that would be known for that would be responsible for the putty rice of Kaladin. We could just do that. We could just be putty rice farmers from Kaladin under House Atreides, which also puts us very squarely in the crosshairs when we're playing the game of uh, being up against the Harkonnens mm -hmm. and, 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 and being part of that familiar setting. Or we could set ourselves in an entirely different planet that's outside of the canon, uh, and we could decide what else we were into. Like in the example in the book, they're part of a major house that is known for a bunch of things, but this minor house in particular is responsible for poetry in the known universe with a side business of uh, assassinations. <laughs> I love that concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we could go into uh, farming and we produce the putty rice of Kaladin. Mm -hmm. We could just go with that nice, nice and simple. And then we can decide what our secondary domain is and that can be anything could be we something want. wild. I feel like that's nice and easy because really we're just, you know, we're doing character creation, right? Like this. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's work for the Atreides. That puts us firmly in the good guys camp too, generally speaking. I mean, sure. Is anyone really good in Dune? No. No. <laughs> but, but as close no, to good guys as they uh, can get. Uh, uh, spoiler alerts, Paul Atreides, the 
protagonist of the first book is responsible for a genocidal holy war in the second book that kills billions of humans. Yep. Uh, yep. So it's this, it's it's the whole setup that Frank Herbert did of he wanted you to fall in love with the hero and then see what it does when you put all of your hopes and dreams behind one person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and like flip it on its side. And that's a, because the first book is the only book that ever really gets adapted all the time. Um, it's not something that's widely known that it's actually about how the heroes are the bad guys. It, it ultimately yeah, the series undermines Messiah myths very, very well. Yeah, it does. But I mean, everyone's it, the point is, it's not that everyone, anyone's good or bad. It's just that everyone will is self-serving. And no matter who you put your faith behind, they will probably go do what makes more sense for them above your interests every single time. Yeah. For, for Paul, it gets away from him where he becomes the Messiah and he can see the future and all futures Mm-hmm. And they all look terrible and he feels locked into his actions. So he mm-hmm. takes no action at all and just kind of lets it happen because he doesn't f- believe he can change it because he's seen it already. It's already happened once you've witnessed it, even though it's the future. So this inaction becomes the action that leads to the death of countless people. Mm-hmm. There, there is one way out of it, but he is so terrified of taking it that he refuses to do it. And that leads to. Yeah. And it comes suffering. into this is another thing that Frank Herbert, a big theme of inaction is a choice and it is also an action. It's it's not taking a side is taking a side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's a theme that comes up over and over and over and over again in the books. Um, all right. So farming. I know I sound like a dune expert, don't I? I've listened to five episodes of another podcast and I know everything. Uh, uh, farming produce, putty rice. All right. Got to have that pundy rice. Pundy rice. I keep calling there, it. There's an end. Putty rice. Pundy <laughs> rice. And I, I like the idea of we might end up making like a rival enemy that's trying to get noodles on the market. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just caught up between like, no one's going to try your ramen. No one's going to get into noodles. Look, the entire known universe eats rice. They love rice, and they're going to stick with rice. You're not going to get people to be slopping on worms. Nice. Uh, so <laughs> we've, got our, we've got our primary domain is we're the Pundi Rice family of House Atreides. We are like, at this point, probably the most powerful minor house in the known universe <laughs> because of our <laughs> Pundi Rice stocks. Uh, what is our second dairy domain this is something that we are known for but we do not have we haven't cornered the market on it right it could be something artistic it could be something spycraft it could be something about assassinations it could be military mm. it could be political it could be religious it could be science hmm. and religion could be we build churches or we produce hymns or we have experts in philosophy or we have workers in the community or we have understanding, right? So you choose then underneath, you have a machinery. Do you build it? Production, pr- produce, do you export an actual s- something? Do you have experts in that field? Do you have workers in that field? So maybe we, 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 we have all this farm, we make all this pundi rice. Does that mean that we also have sciences, workers, lab assistants, and mm-hmm. managers who are able to work with like the genetic sequencing so that we can make pundi rice like Monsanto, right? Like, <laughs> like is, that, is that the offshoot? Is that we also have this whole scientific arm of making genetically modified foods? 
that we're not really known for because no, everyone just wants the pundi rice. No one wants to try all of our weird, like, uh, grow at home algae in a can. You know, we've got we've got all this other stuff. You know, that, that it could be like an offshoot of of that, or it could be something completely different. Like, you know, we could have uh, playwrights and or or, or philosophers, or uh, we we uh, you know, yes, we're known for pundi rice, but have you also watched all of the Kaladin soap operas that we're known for? Mm-hmm. That we 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 make we make all of these like telenovelas. I mean, I think science makes the most sense personally. Yeah, um, it actually makes the most logic sense. If you want to go ridiculous, do like opera. Something ridiculous. There's a big thing in opera in Dune, so it's your yeah. call. Yeah, or 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 we could also be known for our couture fashion. I mean, that's also they they do have great outfits in Dune. Oh man, they have phenomenal outfits. Yeah, I kind of want some of those outfits, like those weird suits that recycle every bit of water. That's it's not gross suits. at all. So what if we're yeah. trying to also sell everyone the idea on, because. Um, we got the rice, but then we've got all these fibers mm. from the rice farming, and we're trying to like corner. We want, we want, we want like the family on House Atreides to also be wearing our cool ass coats. I'm down with that. That sounds ridiculous enough. That's that's the <laughs> level of ridiculous I'm down with. All right. So we're also we're also known for couture fashion. I'm down with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as I said, they do love their fashion in Dune. Yeah, they all look they all look very pretty. I feel like it'd be a lot like a lot of the modern like eco fashion from a lot of from places mm. like because it's it's sort of a semi tropical climate, so you know wrap clothing and light layers and things. Yeah, mm-hmm. so fashion actually falls under the political domain. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Uh, to houses, politics is their meat and drink. These social gadflies don't just play the complex games of the Landsrad. They make these games their business. They don't have much personal power, but they have powerful friends, very useful for a minor house seeking to rise. Such houses are the ultimate courtier, uh, courtiers and the leaders of style and etiquette. They know who is doing what to whom and how to get the ear of the most powerful figures. However, they also make good mediators, understanding the complexities of house politics and how to keep everyone happy. So that's yeah, with that. that's where politics yep. it's, yes. it's, it's court politics. So yeah, you need to, you know, we're not the ones hosting the parties. We're the ones dressing the people that are hosting the parties, which is much a part of politics, as anyone else, right? I'm done with that. Yes, I'm in. I'm not playing Dune for not having political intrigue. So. That's the entire point of Dune. Because <laughs> like cool, we're not. Sandworms. We, as agents of this minor house that is responsible for the pundi rice, we're not the farmers. Mm-hmm. We've got people for that. We're the people that are selling the rice. We are merchants. We are diplomats. We are ambassadors of Kaladin who are mm-hmm. selling trade routes for pundi rice, which open up avenues of... Um, uh, setting up embassies on other worlds and in, in, in increasing the Atreides' political influence across the known universe. And it starts with bringing pundi rice to those planets. But that's not where it ends, right? Once they're eating the rice, now they're being fed by House Atreides. So there's, there comes a dependence from that. And once we are feeding the world, we can bring houses in that world under our banner and that's how Atreides becomes a great house where they start having other major houses aligning themselves with them 
right? When you have one house feeding the universe, yeah, the emperor is going to get a little shaky about that. So the same people that would be responsible for delivering the rice would also be responsible for introducing those other houses into the Atreides culture. So that kind of actually, as, as much as it sounded at first of me joking about it, the more I think about it, I was like, yeah, no, these merchants, these tradespeople, these ambassadors of House Atreides are both selling the rice, but also selling a way of life. Mm. that comes with that rice, which sounds absurd, but it makes total sense to my head. I like it. Thing is, this is our secondary domain. So while we are using the rice as a way to rise the social ladder, there are other minor houses in Atreides who are the ambassadors and the negotiators and the fashionistas who have the political domain worked down. We're known for it, but we don't have it. As like, Mm -hmm. that's not our thing. So maybe one of our enemies could be another minor house that's also loyal to Atreides, who's like, what are you doing? We're the ambassador house. What do you think? You can play politics? You don't know the first thing about politics. So that is, uh, that's our domain. We spent a little time on that. Um, So now that we know a little bit about your house, you need to know about its home planet and its coat of arms. The territory that the house controls be a planet, a moon, or just an area of land, is usually defined by the primary domain. Many houses find their planet especially rich in a single resource, which is why it's become the foundation of their business. However, that still leaves a lot of options for what the place might look like. It's easy to assume an artistic house, an idyllic planet, but blasted features and brooding mountains might inspire an equally gothic form of popular art. So we've, if we're with Atreides, we might be just set on Kaladin, but we might not be on Kaladin. We could be on a moon or another planet in the Kaladin system that makes the rice. Or we could just set ourselves on Kaladin and then, and then we don't have to worry about it. But it has questions of like, what's the dominant form of weather on your planet? What sort of habitation is there? What's the mm-hmm. crime rate like? What, what, uh, how content are the people? How much of the house's wealth is put into the community? Our minor house might have control over the Pundi rice from Kaladin, but are we from Kaladin or are we a minor house from another planet that has moved in? Is this why we our politics is our secondary domain? Are we, um, are we expats from somewhere else mm-hmm. that Atreides has given us because we're, we're really good business? We have a very good business acumen, but we might not be from Kaladin. We could be from somewhere else, which, which adds a nice little wrinkle hmm. into the politics, right? It's uh, the way that, um, think in Game of Thrones, where you had the Stark family sometimes working with the Iron Lords. Mm-hmm. And the Iron Lords were from islands out in the sea. They weren't from the main continent, so they had a very different way of going about things. So what would it have been like if Duke Leto, the guy who's in charge of House Atreides has given the Pundi Rice domain to outsiders. Mm. How would the other minor houses look on us? We're damn good at our jobs, but we're not, right? Mm-hmm. And then that gives us a chance to also come up with our own home world. That'd be fun. I, I like that. Let's go, like, we were known for Pundi Rice, and that's why we, when we fell under their banner, that's sort of the domain that they gave us. I, I enjoy that idea. I do too. I'm down with that. What about if I, I like the idea if we're from a moon of Kaladin and then we look down on Kaladin from orbit? We've got all of our holdings and our businesses, our workforce, but we're 
we're kind of like Elysium <laughs> in orbit <laughs> in, in more living it up. I'm yeah. good with that. Um, yep. So we, we live in these, uh, in these palatial estates on one of the moons of Kaladin. Uh, does Kaladin have, I feel, I think they named moons. their moons. There's a, there's a page back here on, um, I know there's a Kaladin planet. Yeah. Or a page. Yeah. Oh, there, there it is. So yeah. uh, there's Kaladin. Kaladin has one moon. Mm. That one is where we'll do. And it's not, um, it's not named. There you go. Yeah, name moon. So there we are. So we're, we're, we're the Moonies <laughs> from Kaladin. <laughs> and we've been given, maybe we've been given the rice domain because we're on the moon. There's a bit of like, we won't take it for granted the way the surface dwellers on Kaladin might. Mm-hmm. And so because our, the primary export of Kaladin is agricultural produce and agricultural tourism and their wine. So it could be that we've got another minor house that is responsible for the tourism and the wine. And that's why our political domain is secondary. Mm. And because we're in a moon orbiting Kaladin, we're kind of at a disadvantage because we don't maybe have access to the same kind of spaceports and connections that you would have if you were surface bound. It's possible that the, the moon palaces could stretch all the way back to the Butlerian Jihad when Kaladin, Kaladin at the time was an unallied planet and didn't mm-hmm. fight with or against the thinking machines. And, uh, and then going back 10,000 years ago, it says here that one of the Harkonnens was stranded on Kaladin. And that's what really brought Kaladin into the politics of the League of Nobles <laughs> for all this stuff. Like this whole world building in the background. It's, I love it. It's too much. It's, it's too dense. much. Um, so, uh, so we're from Kaladin's moon. We can name it anything we want because I don't think it's mentioned in canon. Oh. Weird. Well, I feel like if we're rice farmers, the moon thing makes sense because we're closer to our domain. Like yeah, we have and our then agriculture on the moon. and the moon and the tides and the seasons, like that all like yeah. plays into those themes. So, um, oh, I know we're being stuck on this for like half an hour, but like <laughs> Sean, Sean Horbachuk, as our yeah. resident expert in all things Frank Herbert and Dune, what would you name the moon of Kaladin so that everyone on Twitter can get mad at you? Oh, no. Great. No, no pressure at all. Um, I'd go with something Greek inspired because that tends to be where he pulls a lot of his name stuff from. Mm. Um, so probably like an e- an OS name of some kind f- preceded by a consonant. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I said as if I, I know what I'm talking preceded about. preceded by a consonant? Yeah. <laughs> um, what are the... Hmm. Hold on. Let me Google a thing. Uh... List of islands of Greece. Ios. I'm just there. picking names of Greek islands at this point. That's fine. Go with yeah. that. that. And moon good. of Jupiter. Yeah. Well, it's, it's got an S on it, though, so it's slightly different. Oh, completely <laughs> different word. All right. Ios, the moon of Kaladin, officially now named and coined. No one else has ever named one of the moons of Kaladin before until this moment. This, the only podcast to ever talk about Dune. Ever. (laughs) Don't Google that. (laughs) Ever. 
<laughs> All right. Where were we? Uh, house type. Um, Homeworld. Uh, so uh, banners and arms. Each noble house has a coat of arms they proudly emblazon on all of their holdings. Most houses have a banner made up of one or two colors and a crest, which might be an animal, object, or a chem- even a chemical element. The colors might be represented on their banner divided horizontally or vertically as a stripe, usually behind the crest. It's up to the group to decide on the house banner. There are hundreds of possible options, from the hawk of the Atreides to the lamp of Hout Ritchie's to the double helix of House Vernius. Um, so we're known, we're not known for our fashion, we're known for our farming businesses. So we have, I think we should have a moon as our banner because we're the, we're the minor house that is on the moon of Kaladin that is following the tides of this water world that we can use from orbit to track all of the agriculture on Kaladin. I like it. And so, and then that's also really easy to draw. So we just have like, it looks like the do not disturb logo on, on your iOS phone of just the crescent moon. And uh, I, w- I would put it on a blue and black background with blue on the bottom, like divided Yeah, I'm thinking even diagonal. So you've got blue on the bottom left and black on the top right. And then it kind of looks like the horizon of Kaladin behind the yeah. moon. Perfect. Yep. And that's what our crest is. And that's what it represents is we um, bridge Kaladin between what is on land and what is in out and beyond, right? Through the rice and through our productions and through this house, we are the gateway to the universe, <laughs> which is a very ostentatious view for a minor house to have. We're very grounded and not pretentious at all. No. Um, so the final element of creating the house is to select traits. These traits are because again it's a it's the 2d20 system everything's built built around traits traits can be used to create or lower difficulty in a lot of roles depending on the scenes it's also how a lot of npcs will react to you if you have a particular trait like in star trek adventures your trait if you were a klingon would be klingon and so mm-hmm. you walk into the room and they go you're a klingon you have the klingon trait right like it it it, 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 it the traits are pretty obvious in that way or like there's no lights in the room, so the, the scene has the trait of darkness. So the, the trait, uh, if you spend one momentum in the game, you can apply your house trait to your character for the remainder of the scene. Each house trait begins with the trait for its primary domain. So we have the trait farming. So we can use, if we spend one momentum point, we can assign the farming trait to our characters for the rest of the scene if it comes up. It might, right? There's, there's lots of different reasons why farming might happen, especially on Dune. Um, when okay. it comes to the way they handle water and, and, and all of that, like uh, okay. yeah, that makes life sense. and okay. animal life and water and the environment, all of that the plays in very big themes on Dune. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and even in just the city life, uh, there's all of these like um, uh, water cellars and places that are like trying to extract what little water is in the atmosphere or on any bodies that are found and, and anything that can be done. And then they go around the streets, like selling them out of backpacks to anyone who's got enough money for it. Um, so, uh, then you begin, so you got a trait for your primary domain and then you also begin with a descriptive trait for its reputation. So like the Atreides house would have the trait of honorable, uh, brutal would be going to the Harkonnens. So, mm-hmm. so our house is from the moon of Kaladin, 
known for its farming, and it has this really ostentatious house crest that actually places itself literally above its major house that it works for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I feel like its trait really, like it's not honorable like the Atreides. It really just comes off as prideful Mm -hmm. because we've really let this Pundi Rice thing go to our heads. Right? I like it. We're, we're proud. We're a very proud house. Pride cometh before the fall. And then uh, we haven't named our house yet. We're getting into our house roles. Uh, and so this is something that can be done in play or something that can be decided now. So we come up with like who's in charge of our minor house. Mm-hmm. Does, it, does this ruler have any consorts, advisors? Do we have a chief physician? We're a minor house, so not all of these roles might be filled. But I think that we would, we would probably have a spy master. We would definitely have a treasurer. And these are characters that we, as agents of this house, would report to. These would be our right. bosses. I, I, I put Sean on the spot for naming the moon that we're from. What, what, why don't our house name just be Iosian or Iosis? That's easy. Yeah. We're house Iosis. That we sounds very doomish, doesn't it? We, it sounds we've been on this moon for 10,000 years. So I'm spelling it I-O-S-Y-S. Nice. And uh, yeah, no, this, this minor house, the only thing reason we're a minor house is because we happen to be on a moon and not a planet, but we have mm. been there since, like we can trace our time back to the same, to the, to the origins of Atreides to the Butlerian Jihad, to the old empire. We've just kind of always been there. Hmm. Um, I like that. In the shadow of Kaladin. Uh, It's a little bit like when they retconned Romulus to also have Remans. Remus. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh yeah, the Remans were there. They, they, they were instrumental in the Dominion War. Excuse me, what? 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 (laughs) What what are you talking about? The what? Why is Tom Hardy Picard? Don't think about it. Don't worry about it. Tom Hardy's breakout role, his first on-screen performance, clone of Captain Picard. And he did a good he job did a in a good terrible job. movie. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> it's so bad. And he's actually like, he's like, that he's man phenomenal. will be Venom one day. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be Mad oh. Max one day. So <laughs> he was also Bane, right? Uh, yep. He was Bane, yep. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. He has such range. angry bald white man well he wasn't afraid to dream a little bigger darling (laughs) Uh, nemesis the movie that almost killed star trek forever that was so bad it it, it murdered it for a few years first movie i ever saw in the theaters on a date was to see star trek nemesis we were originally going to see leonardo dicaprio's catch me if you can but when we went to the theater, I had gotten the dates wrong and that movie wasn't coming out until next week. So I I looked at her and went star Trek. (laughs) She rolled her (laughs) eyes and went whatever. And to this day says she still doesn't remember that movie. (laughs) It's probably for the best. She's blocked it out. It's terrible. (laughs) I saw that when university and it was bad. Yeah. 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 Uh, Oh my goodness. Cool cool warbirds though. They had neat models. Just yeah. 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 And you know what? It, 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 we wouldn't have had the Picard series that we got if Nemesis hadn't played out the way it did. How is that true? I guess that's kind of true. It picked up on a lot of the aesthetics of Romulan society, and then that mm. was picked up by Nero when they did the J.J. Abrams movie. And, okay, that's fair. And then that carried over, and then that then... So like it went Nemesis to the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek, to, Star Trek 
Star Trek Online to mm-hmm. to a, to a degree. They 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 definitely lifted aesthetics from that with the way their uniforms were and and yeah. and and with some of the like with the refugee issues of of the destruction of Romulus and then and then Star Trek Picard. Cool. Yeah. Well, we're talking about Dune. Yeah. So the the last step or the second to last step in your house is filling out its rulers. So we've got like in the house rules on the character sheet, you've got sections for ruler, consort, heir, advisor, chief, physician, counselor, envoy, marshal, scholar, spy master, sword master, treasurer, war master. You don't have to fill all of these out. They can be filled in during play where you're like, we need to meet the war master. Who was that again? And you'd write their name down. It's just a way to keep track of who's in charge of what. And of course, these characters could die and you could be assigned to be the new treasurer for House Iosis. For me, on the Terrible Warriors, I might just roll the dice and just add in characters from our Patreon support. Mm, <laughs> Have them in nice. charge of our house. I like it. Wow, it's actually a really long <laughs> list. Oh, I love these guys. Okay, so uh, how many do I have? I got 32. Well, I don't have a D32. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yet. Right. I'm going to change it. I'm going to uh, order it by lifetime. And... Uh, and then roll a d20. So the ruler of House Iosis is number five, Lutz. L-U-T-S-Z. Nice. So house name Iosis, so it'll be Lutz Iosis, because Iosis would be the surname or the yep. house name. Their consort, Moritz. Uh... The heir to House Iosis. It's just David. David Iosis. That's, that makes sense as anything else. Just like Paul. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an Atreides thing where the heir yeah. just has a really boring... <laughs> Normal name. <laughs> ...kind of biblical name. Yeah. And David is a very biblical name. David Iosis. He is the rice messiah. The rice must flow. Mm. <laughs> Oh, He's dear. just going to have his own Paul Atreides mirror adventure. Uh, their chief advisor in House Iosis is S-T-I-N-K-E. Mm. It looks like, uh, oh no, I'm going to go by their email address. <laughs> the chief advisor is Dead Man Pete. That works for me. Nice. I'm, I, that conjures a very particular image. <laughs> Yeah, like, like they're, I feel like Dead Man Pete might be a former Sadukar who failed in an assassination attempt, was captured, reconditioned. The mental conditioning was broken, but he's still a little sociopathic. And we just kind of keep this former Sadukar death soldier on board to like help advise our house leader. And everyone's like, why are you keeping this person? He's feral. Dead Man Pete. Um, <laughs> what's his real name? No one remembers. Uh, our chief physician in House Iosis is uh, Lily Mills, Doctor Mills. Also, uh, we our leader wouldn't be a duke because we're under a duke, so we'd probably mm. be a count. So Count Lutz Iosis, because that's awesome. Count Lutz Iosis, or it, they're a marquee if their territory borders an enemy territory. Right. Would the moon count as bordering enemy territory being in orbit of Kaladin? Hmm. And then it would be the Marquis Lutz Iosis. <laughs> uh, so our counselor is uh, Cherny. Cherny sounds 
very Dune as well, actually. Yeah, that's a pretty appropriate. Jay Jay Cherney. This kind of sounds like a Gurney, uh, mm. who's a main character, one of the one of the major characters in the Dune series. Gurney Speaking Halleck, of Star Trek, played by uh, uh, Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Stewart Patrick Stewart, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in the eighties movie, yeah. not in the miniseries. Who did it in the miniseries? I can't. remember. My favorite, my favorite, Duncan Idaho is oh, the most yeah. ridiculous Dune name. <laughs> it's the most yaha yeha America. In the miniseries, it is played by he's played by a very clearly Scottish actor. Like he has a brogue, while everyone else is mostly Czech, and they have like a completely different accent. And it's fantastic. Oh. So our the the en, the envoy of House Iosis is Marco Zimmerman. Our house is Richard Paracini. Our house scholar is Damon Jordan. Nice. That sounds like a Mentac already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mentat. Mentac or space Actually, pirates you know what? that steal uh, your uh, trade uh, goods. Thank you for your support, Damon. I'm going to remove your surname. I just like the idea of our house Mentac. The Mentacs uh, in Dune are like human computers, basically. They've been conditioned to like mm-hmm. think like computers. And because uh, we don't, we're not allowed to have thinking machines in this world. So Damon. Um, our spy master is, uh, Amos Hmm. is our, is our spy master and our sword master is seriously Axel's son. Not bad. (laughs) Benny Axel's son. Nice. And uh, that's from Benjamin Axel's son, but I'm going to change it to Benny because that sounds a little bit more Dooney. That's a very good name for our swordmaster. Uh, Eleven, our treasurer is Vlad Kuro Neko, Vlad Kuro, and our war master, the person who's dealing with our soldiers, is uh, Michael Rudsky. So now we've we've named everybody. All right, those are our house roles. Ruler, the Count Lutz Iosis, Consort Countess Moritz. The heir, David Iosis. Dead Man Pete, our advisor. <laughs> Dr. Mills, chief physician. General Mills, we should call them. Oh. <laughs> I approve. Counselor Cherney. Envoy Zimmerman. Marshal Richard Parachim, Paracini. Scholar Damon. Spymaster Amos. Swordmaster Benny Axelson. Mm-hmm. Treasurer Vlad Kuro, and the War Master Michael Rudsky. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, I like that. That all sounds good. We have our rogues gallery. We have our rogues gallery. So uh, we've got all the roles, and you can you can look through the PDF, and you can see like they all have like what their roles mm-hmm. and responsibilities are. But for the purposes of our game, these would be the NPCs that would be uh, assigning us jobs or pitting us against each other. Mm-hmm. They're vying for control, or maybe our ambition is I'm going to become the advisor. So I got to deal with Dead Man Pete, and I got to make him disappear. And I need to, I want to be the new Dead Man Pete. Maybe the Dead Man Pete is like a Dread Pirate Roberts. Why not? And it's a moniker. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one Dead Man Pete. Uh, so as a minor house, we have one enemy against us. Okay. Already, like they're out to get us, 
and I'm going to roll a d20 to find out what level of hatred they have against us, whether they dislike their arrival, if they loathe us, or if they have declared Canley. And Canley is the, uh, the war of vengeance that will not be satisfied until the house and all of its resources have been wiped out to the last person. And I rolled a one. So it's only dislike. Any interaction with this house is at a plus one difficulty due to distrust, always thinking the worst. So our enemy house dislikes us. That's it. We're just... They kind of just, just don't just, like that. We just, we just think, we just think they're, they're... We just don't like them. That's fair. You know, that feels kind of like another, why do they not like us? I roll another d20, and this could be anywhere from competition to debt to an ancient feud to servitude to literally no reason at all. Uh, six... Uh, in debt, they or the player character's house has reneged on a deal. This might be through a misunderstanding, an unfortunate circumstance, or just because they could. <laughs> so either us, the player, or House Iosis has reneged on a deal with this enemy house. And so they don't like us anymore. Or vice versa. Um, they could have reneged on a deal with us, but either way. No, it does. Oh, they or the player character's house. Yeah. So it could be either one. It sounded one. like, it sound. sorry, I didn't, I, I read that as the player character or the player character's house has reneged on a deal. Uh, but you're right. It could also be read as, as, as the enemy house. Um, well, let's, uh, I, you know what I just recently got? You're going to like this. The Stormcrow Manor has a oh, the D2. D2. Yes. It is a two-sided die. It has a one on one side and a two on the other. How does it roll? Is it's, it flat? Is it's it strange is it for a, a die? It's flat. It's flat. It's a flat, um, circular shaped dice. How do you roll die? that? Um, I think I just would spin it on the table. Oh, okay. Or, <laughs> or, or I could toss it through the air. I think if I place it on my thumb, I can do a little trick where I can flip the die. I've never flipped a die before. Why does she's a coin? But okay. <laughs> well, because this is about the size no, but it's a, of it's a die. Um, it's a D two. It's about the size of my palm. Okay, that's not helping. It's big. <laughs> it's big. I wish I was on a webcam so I could show you. Okay, so a one, we reneged on the deal. Mm -hmm. A two, they reneged a deal. Okay. Nice. And clunk. That's <laughs> <laughs> a one. Okay. Okay. So we reneged on the deal. Cool. And that was the first time I ever got to roll a D2. Awesome. And I had to flip it. Memorialized forever. I don't know what you mean. It's not, it's not anything like a coin. <laughs> For one thing, that is not legal currency. Okay. I can't, that's not tender. I'm just trying to understand how to deal with a shape that isn't a polyhedral. <laughs> Does not compute. I mean, it's... It has depth, I guess, technically. <laughs> it's technically three-sided. Because it's got the top and the bottom and then the edge. Okay. <laughs> I could, and it's, it's thick enough that I could balance it on its edge. You've proven me wrong. I stand corrected. <laughs> Coins are so outdated. This is the new future. <laughs> I haven't dealt with coins in over That's a year. That's fair. Like yeah. money. What is money anymore? What even is, what even is, what even is like physical cash? What is uh, even is All right. So, so uh, they, the reason is uh, debt. So we reneged on a deal. Mm. Uh, it might be through a misunderstanding or an unfortunate circumstance or just because they could. We um, knew we could do it. We did that purposely. 
yeah. you knew we could get oh that's what oh, you're yeah. saying okay so so that so your character we knew we could we could get away with it we had a deal with oh they were um they, i i love the idea of them being a rival political mm. minor house and we had agreed to dress them and we at the last minute um just didn't we got a better offer didn't we we got a better offer and we uh we 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 sold the contract to another yeah, house I know that I feel at the awards ceremony I feel we do that at the Atreides at the at the uh at the 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 Atreides Academy and that's yes. what put us on the map for fashion like that was the season when everyone was like oh yeah what are you wearing I'm wearing Iosis yeah I'm Ooh. down with that it's rice based <laughs> it's economical <laughs> I don't think they care about the they're not environmentally friendly at all. Yeah, that's that's one thing the Empire doesn't strike me as caring about that much. Yeah. The Atreides, maybe, actually. But. I doubt it. The, Atre- the, the Atreides seem to be a little bit more aware of um, the, the stewardship of mm-hmm. Kaladin. Uh, they've built their castles to be like more rustic and built into the landscape and... They kind of they, they definitely live in harmony mm. with the environment, but they also live on one of the few what are called class five worlds. Almost all the other inhabited worlds are class four, which means they give you resources, no. but don't give you a lot. Class five is an abundance of sustainable resources. So you can easily live on Kaladin without needing the help from anyone else in the universe. This planet is a garden world. And uh, and, and not even the Emperor lives on a class five planet. So like these these things are very rare. Um, Dune is a class three, which is you cannot, you can, you can breathe the atmosphere, but you can't survive without resources from off world where a class two is you would need, um, like life support systems in order to be able to even walk around on the surface. And a class one is even with life support systems, the planet's like radiological, like it's radioactive Acidic. or it's volcanic or something like even even if you're wearing protective gear, the planet's going to try and kill you. Uh, Don't do so that. that's that's the way it ranks up. So Kaladin is a five where even Kytian, the planet that the emperor is from, mm. is only a four. And Harkonnens live on a planet that was a four, but they've blasted it from industrial overuse into a three. And uh, the planet is like they've 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 stripped it of all of its valuable resources. As one does. Yeah. So anyway, so so this enemy house dislikes us because we reneged on a deal. I feel and, that's right. And uh, uh, we should give them uh, we should give them a name as well, shouldn't we? So one last roll from the Patreon list. I'm gonna take the surname of this person that I roll up. Oh, it's a natural twenty. House Weldereen. So they're another minor house within the Atreides banner. And uh, that's it. We've now made our house Iosis from Kaladin, but on the moon of Kaladin, which we've named Ios, they are responsible for the farming of the Pundi rice that Atreides sends out. But Iosis doesn't farm the Pundi on Ios. They obviously fun, they, they, they farm it on Kaladin. So there's, I don't know, there's some... Um, contention about that we're we're not off-worlders we're 
we're we're from the moon of their home world, but we're not of that world, right? It's a it's a whole little, it's a whole lot of thing. Uh, we also make we also make uh, those uh, dope ass jackets that you sometimes see them walking mm. around in the movies, and that looks really cool. And so, but we're not we're not we're not the sole provider of this fashion, but we're trying to work our way up. And because of that, we're starting to uh, uh, earn the ire of House Weldereen, who's out to get us. So what we're going to do now is the next step is making our characters. And we're at a point where uh, we've been recording this for a while. We've been getting really into to Dune. So we're going to do something we very rarely do on Terrible Warriors, and we're going to jump through time. <laughs> and when you next hear us, we're going to have finished making our characters. We're going to wrap up this episode together, and we're going to go through more of the typical Session Zero episode where we will describe what we've done and present that. So follow with me now as we look into... We, we're all going to take a little huff of spice... <laughs> <laughs> of, 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 of the spice melange mm-hmm. and we're going to see into the many different possible futures and uh and 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 then we're going to lose that time and and, and we're going to edit it the sleeper <laughs> and, gonna have our and our characters will be done <laughs> so the sleeper has awoken uh so fear is the mind killer so so that's it so uh it, it, it's three two Return to us next week. We'll have part two of our Dune Session Zero, where we make our characters that will fit into that noble house Iosis. Special thanks to Modiphius for sending us a copy of Dune Adventures in the Imperium and giving us a chance to look into it. And hey, one day when we're back around the table, maybe we'll actually play a session of Dune. Wouldn't that be fun? Thanks to Sean Horbachuk, Brendan Fry for hanging out in this episode. They'll be back. We'll be making our characters. It'll be a good time. Follow us on Twitter at Dice Warriors for updates on the show. And if you want to become a future ruler of a house in the Imperium, consider becoming a supporter for us on Patreon at patreon.com slash terriblewarriors, where we host monthly private games. And you can join in on that. We're still playing through our Forbidden Lands Raven's Purge. But if you have a suggestion for a game you'd like me to run for you... I'm also available to run a game for your group. Any game you have ever heard on the Terrible Warriors, I have available sitting right to my right on my shelf right here. And I will crack that book open and run that game for your group virtually on the platform of your choice if you like. It'll be a fun time. So we're splitting this session zero into two parts because uh, Dune, it it takes its time. (laughs) And thank you for spending your time with us. And until we meet again, right here on the Terrible Warriors, be good to each other. <laughs>